This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Now am I? Oh, good. You don't want to miss this. <laughs> anyway, Gary cleared up a lot of things for these this morning. I was confused. I mean, not like I don't live there anyway, but uh, that uh, we had fairy of cleaning up the church, and we have a head fairy. And I got to thinking about that, and I'm wondering if on the websites that would make Grant the head fairy of... Cedar Springs. Has he put that on his W-2? Do you think? Head Ferry, Cedar Springs Church. Whew, am I glad I'm not that. Okay, so how was it? Uh, do you realize that on Thanksgiving that there were 46 million turkeys consumed? Yeah, check my math on this, Mr. Dauphin. That's more people than live in Cedar Crest. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of birds. So it was, it was kind of fun. Uh, but I, you know, one thing that's distressing about this time of year, and I don't know if you've noticed this, not, this, is, this is true in all seriousness, have you noticed that people are trying to get rid of holidays? Yeah, I always like it. Uh, this is a side thing. This isn't in my notes, so we could go on for days on this one. But you realize that when they change the, 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 the uh, thing from Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays, that the joke's on them? You know how that translates? You know how that comes out? It's happy holy days. <laughs> Take that, Target. But anyway, um, I, I think that they're going to they're gonna catch Thanksgiving before it's over with. And I've, I've already come up with my own name for it uh, next year, you know, when they get rid of Thanksgiving. It's going to be Black Friday Eve. Okay, you've got Christmas Eve, and I'm thinking, hey, Black Friday Eve works for me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and if you've committed any particular heinous sin, I'm looking at you people, and you were punished for some weird reason and had to go shopping on that day, uh, <laughs> I'm assuming, uh, does this thing work? There's nothing worried a bulletin, there you are. You and 5,000 of your friends at Walmart having a good time getting you a TV, uh, but then you think, well, for the smart people, I'll just order online. Well, can I just tell you, when you go to track your package, joke's on you. There's your package sitting in the San Francisco Bay. So whatever you order from China will be here sometime next year. But how was it for you? I mean, do you guys remember Norman Rockwell? Norman Rockwell? Talk often, Kim? Norman Rockwell? Saturday Evening Post, did paintings, okay? This is why the mid-high kids had to stay in here today to learn who this is. He had a painting, I have a painting in my office of the pharmacist from Norman Rockwell. Uh, and uh, this was his for Thanksgiving. And I always liked it because it set, I thought, the right tone. You got uh, the grandmother, the grandpa, 
uh, here, uh, serving up the turkey. Look how happy everybody is. Uh, and I, I always thought it was great because that's, that's really what we have envisioned in our own mind about Thanksgiving, is it not? Uh, but then someone, you know, it could be anyone, uh, but someone uh, during the, the, the dinner time just pops off and, and says something that just sets things off. You know what I'm saying? It, it starts out something like this. Well, don't blame me. I voted for, and they fill in the blank. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe they, they'll come up and say something like this. It just, you know, it just, things go haywire. I said it. And then your little Norman Rockwell thing turns into this. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Let me just tell you, this is normal. Okay? This is normal. Okay? Can I get an amen? Yeah? Yeah, that's right. If you ever walk into somebody's house and you get this little sign, that's not right. That's not normal. Okay, of course, it's, you'll get your chance next week. <laughs> but of course, neither is this. That's not normal either, okay? So, there's a lot of things not right about that holiday, you know what I'm saying? Let me ask you the better question is, and Gary's already, already asked it, what was your response to Thanksgiving? That's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, we can rejoice in your name. Uh, Father, that you have saved us, you keep us, you love us beyond what we can imagine. And Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Father, pray that as we look at your word today that you would open our eyes, you'd open our ears, Father, that you'd soften our hearts to your glory. And we pray and ask that in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 17. Just to catch you up, you realize that Luke is writing to Theophilus, very well-known Roman dignitary. And um, he's making a point as a Gentile, and he has much broader audience. And his point to this broader audience is that this is not just a Jewish thing. Christ came for everyone. And so he's making the point, he's making the argument as you read through it, and he's very chronological. He's making the argument that Christ came for all. He's including the Gentiles, the Samaritans, we'll talk about them in a little bit, women, children, tax collectors, people that were so often marginalized in a Jewish community. Luke is driving home the point, Christ came for you. Up until this time, he's covered the birth of Christ. He's talked about John the baptizer who was uh, the forward guy for Christ, announcing his coming. He's talked about the beginning of Christ's ministry, the rejections that he's beginning to experience. He's talked about the miracles that validate himself, Christ validating himself to not only the public, but to his own disciples that he's already chosen now by this time. 
and he is teaching. And all of this as he reveals the kingdom of God who is at hand. And when we get to Luke 17, I want you to look and back up, if you would, to verses 5 and 6, because there's two things that begin to set the stage here. And I want you to keep these in the back of your mind as we go through the scripture today, because Jesus is going to answer some of these questions that you're going to have as we read this. Look at verses 5 and 6. He said, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith and the lord said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed you could say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you it's interesting that these guys uh, and actually one of these days i'm going to pay attention to my notes okay there it is um it's interesting that these guys make this kind of demand. It really wasn't a question unless you have a different version there. Uh, but they kind of make it a demand. They said, increase our faith. And as we go along, I want you to understand that Jesus is getting ready to answer this demand about increasing their faith in both illustration and demonstration because he's going to eventually land this plane on the fact that it's not about increasing your faith. It's about entrusting your faith to a faithful God, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind. And then as you read down in verses 7 through 10, I want you to look at that too. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare for me and dress properly? And serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. Now, let me tell you the other kingdom principle that's coming into play well, and it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with us, especially Americans. Jesus is laying down a kingdom principle here that your ears need to go up. Okay? What he's, he's, he's saying is, if the servant's coming in, and he's talking to the disciples, okay, so, so say you've got these servants working out in the field, and they come in after they've worked, are they going to sit down at your table and say, what do you say we eat, boss? And he answers it, no. In fact, you need to dress properly and cook my meal. That flies all over us. But Jesus is laying down a kingdom principle here, so pay very close attention. He says, you're not going to recline at the table with the master. Does the master thank the servant? No. Watch the principle. Why not? Because that's the servant's duty. Do you understand that? It's the servant's duty that's their response to the master. And their place is, I'm the unworthy servant. Okay, you got that? Their response is, that's my duty. I'm the unworthy servant. The master has no obligation. Now listen closely. The master has no obligation 
to serve the servant. None. Okay, that's a kingdom principle. Start putting this together. He's talking about God. Okay? The master has no obligation. So when this situation changes, he's going to head into what's the proper response. Remember that the master's position is not to thank the servant. Get that in your head. If you ever think that a holy God is anxiously waiting to thank you for something, you need to rethink that. Okay? The reality is that we border on this thought in our mind, maybe because of what we say or do or how we serve, that somehow or another God owes me something. All I will tell you is that is very dangerous territory. Stay out of it. God owes me nothing. Therefore, what is the proper response when he does something on our behalf? Is there a response? And how important is that? Well, let's look at that because our response to God is important. Start in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, this is the setting that he's walking into. Again, he's he's teaching his disciples, and he's on his final march from Jerusalem, or toward Jerusalem. And if you look back in Luke chapter 9, in verse 51, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Okay, What that means, basically, is it's like setting something in stone. Okay, where I come from, you could say that the guy was locked up like a Missouri mule. All right? He was headed to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him. Nothing. This is why he came. Okay? So his his face is set like flint. It's fixated. He's determined. There's no turning back. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's out in the wilderness between Samaria and Galilee. You and I would call that no man's land. Outcasts live here. And guess what? He's met by ten lepers. Now, lepers in the scripture is maybe not necessarily what you and I know today as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is a bacterial infection that affects the nerves uh, it affects the muscles. It affects uh, the eyes. Okay, the, the greatest danger that you have mostly with Hansen's disease is uh, the fact that you, you become n- numb in your extremities. And if you put your hand near a fire, <clears throat> you could burn it and you wouldn't know it. Okay, and then what happens is as the muscles atrophy, as the nerves go away, the digits start to retreat into the hands and the feet. That's, thus, it looks like you have lost them. Okay? That's Hansen's disease. Blindness is the other issue associated with Hansen's 
disease, okay? So that's not necessarily what they had, but any skin infirmary that these people might have that looked infectious or weepy or what have you, it was almost like a generic term, like we would use the term, make me a Xerox of this, okay? When in fact you're asking somebody to make a copy of it, okay? So it was leprosy, but yet the, uh, to them it was infectious and there was uh, a, a response that they had as Jews uh, to this issue in terms of leprosy. So in Leviticus 13, you see where the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And then when you look over in Numbers, you'll see this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean uh, through contact with the dead, you shall put uh, out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Okay, so literally these people were ceremonially unclean. They wore torn clothing. They were in perpetual mourning. Their hair was down. Uh, they were required to cover their lip and yell, unclean, unclean. That was the, your warning, okay, that they had an infectious disease and that uh, you were not to go near them. Now, this was a miserable exi existence because they were totally uh, rejected by society, and I'm not sure that we have a handle on that. Um, let me see if I can put this to where you will get it a little better. These people lived alone and or in their own encampment. Now what that meant was if you were diagnosed with this leprous uh, disease, you had to live outside the camp, you've read that, but it didn't cull anybody just because of A, who you are, or B, what you did. Okay, so let's, let's bring that home for you a little bit. If you were a dad, a father providing for your family and you had this disease and you were banished outside the camp, then your family could no longer make a living. Your family was impoverished now. Moms, grandmothers, if you had this disease, you were banished. You could no longer be with your husband or your children, or your grandchildren. Let's go one layer deeper. Children, children, if you had the disease, toddlers, first graders, third graders, sixth graders, if you had the disease, guess what? You were banished. And as your two-year-old is taken off crying, you cannot follow them. Do you understand that? Do you understand the miserable existence as your child is taken away 
crying, asking for you, and you can't go. That's what leprosy was. You understand it? Far more than what we can imagine. The closest thing we can imagine, the closest thing, is you can't go visit someone in the hospital because of COVID. Okay? Well, that's bad enough, especially if they're dying. But for them to drag off your child, your mother, your father, it was not fun. And you're forced to live with strangers. You're alienated people. You're desperate people. You are the unclean living with the unclean. How's that going to work out? Just to give you a sense of it, if we treated Hansen's disease, and we still do, it's still found in some parts of it. Do you know how long we treat Hansen's disease? One to two years. That's with antibiotics. If you ever stop taking them in that time frame, it comes back. That's one to two years treated with Dapsone and Rifampicin, Clofazamine. I see you people haven't been doing your infectious disease modules. <laughs> Come on, this is common knowledge. One to two years, you're going to be in treatment. These people weren't treated. Okay? Vicious cycle. And by the way, sending your little two-year-old off to a camp, whatever you can imagine happened in that camp did. Notice how they address Jesus. He was met by lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have we talked about master before? Just up above? Master and servant? And they cried, have mercy on us. Why? Because this sickness is so horrible. I want you to stop right here, okay? Because we've laid down a kingdom principle, and now we're coming into something else. The first kingdom principle is that God owes me nothing. Uh, this past week, uh, Pastor Grant shows me this uh, quote from a, a book that, that uh, he had read, and I was flabbergasted. I'm not even going to tell you who wrote this, because it would destroy you. And I think it was well-intended when they wrote it, but man, did they miss it. Look at this. If we have been as faithful as we know how to be here on earth, it will be God's greatest joy to spend all eternity making it up to us. How do you say hogwash in Greek? <laughs> Somebody's listening. I'm telling you, you have no idea how far off the mark that is. God's greatest joy is not making up something for us. God's greatest joy is his son. My God. Goodness, what was that? There's a kingdom principle here. God owes me nothing. Secondly, I want you to understand that this whole leprosy thing, the Old Testament is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Do you realize that our sin is leprosy before a holy God? Do you see that? Our sin is leprosy. 
before a holy God. It was my sin. It was your sin. That was the leprosy that Christ took to the cross and paid for it. We're the ones that should be yelling, unclean, unclean, master, have mercy on me. Our response to the master is so important because the sickness, our sickness, is so horrible. Secondly, our response to the master is important because he is so mighty and merciful. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Gary talked about this this morning. Perfect. The master's response was what to the ten lepers? In English, we would say they were healed, right? What crosses your mind? But in their culture and in reality, they were cleansed. It's a little different. Why? Because in this culture, in this time, not only were they physically healed, but in society, they were able now to reintegrate back socially. They were able to reintegrate back religiously. The fact was that now the dad could go home and earn a living. The mom could go home and be with her children. The children could go home and be with their mom and their dad. They were cleansed. Important word there. He was answering their cry for mercy, and he commanded them, go show yourself to the priests. Jesus is now beginning to counter the disciples' request for increase their faith. And we're going to get to what he's saying is the proper response. But very quickly, what do you think the response was of those ten guys, just collectively? Is it fair to say that they were happy? Is it fair to say that they were somewhat joyful? Uh, Maybe the, the fact that all of their miserable existence had been um, wiped off? Is it fair to say that they might have been even a little giddy? And you walk into the priest and say, hey, look at me now. I don't think there was a one of them. Now, I don't know if there's a line on this in Vegas or not, but I'm going to put an awful lot of money on it that there wasn't a one of them said, rats, he did it. He healed me. No. They were overwhelmed. They were cleansed. All of a sudden, their life, for whatever the word normal means, it was back to normal. And they were back home. And the point is, God's mercy. He's powerful and he's able to cleanse. Stop right there for just a minute. How does all this relate to you and I? Well, don't miss the gospel here, okay? You remember back in Numbers, the Lord spoke to Moses, command the people of Israel that they put where? Out of the camp, everyone who is leprous, discharged, unclean, 
male and female, putting them where? Outside. Outside the camp, okay? So that they may not defile the camp in the midst of all this. Look at Hebrews 13 very quickly. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Don't miss the gospel. Do you realize what happened there? To sanctify means what? To consecrate, to dedicate, to purify. Give me one other word. Cleanse. That's what sanctify, sanctify means. To cleanse. Do you see how important that word is? He went outside the camp. The one who had no leprosy took your leprosy, went outside the camp, hung on the cross, saved you, cleansed you by his own blood. There it is, the gospel message. Do you see it? Our response to the master is important because our sin is so great. And he is so mighty and merciful. But thirdly, I want you to realize that our response to the master is so important because we should be so thankful. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Did you notice the response of that one? One of them saw that he was cleansed, healed. One of them turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And that one, in verse 16, it says, He fell on his face, giving him thanks. Oh, and the little surprise factor from Luke. Eh, by the way, he was a Samaritan. That doesn't mean a lot to you and I. But let me push it into America. The Samaritans were your equivalent of an ISIS convicted pedophile infectious disease infected terrorist. That's the best way I can put it. I don't know how else to say that. Okay? These are the guys that cut people's throats on live TV and are happy about it. And you can't tell me you don't have some element of disdain in your heart at that point for these people. What is wrong with you? That's what the Jews thought of the Samaritans. They hate it. The surprise factor from Luke. Guess what that one was? He was the hated one. The only reason he got along with everybody else in the camp was because they had something in common, and that was leprosy. They hated them. And Luke throws this out. Oh, and by the way, he was a Samaritan. Listen, before we go any further, 
Let me ask you, what was common across the board in this story? All ten were healed, right? Okay. I'm sure that all ten of them had some element of a happy response. Okay. They'd been healed. But yet that one, that one out of the ten was different. And it's beginning to beg the question, why? The other nine went off. They got their miracle. They went their merry way. Oh, by the way, did any of them deserve that? Just asking for a friend. No. Earn it? No. But that one, that one immediately decided that the ceremony from the priest could wait. That one turned back. That one praised God loudly. That one literally cast himself at Jesus' feet giving thanks. Why? Do you see that that one was different? Stop right there. Thanksgiving Day. Again, Gary's already hit this and it's important. What were you thankful for? Now, I, I hope that you're thankful for your salvation. My goodness, what a great salvation we enjoy. Let's go past the Sunday school answer for just one minute. What happened to these guys? What was restored for them? Do you remember? Family, home, job. Marriage, children, grandchildren. It just starts ticking away. Reintegrated back into society. Normal, accepted. Has that ever happened to you? Has God ever restored a marriage? Has God ever reintegrated you back into a friendship? Has God allowed you to hug someone? You realize if you have leprosy, you're hugging no one including your children, and they're not hugging you? Has he given you that? Just a hold for a second. Your wife, your husband, your child. Has he restored a job? Has he restored a home? Has he restored a life? Do you understand what he's being thankful for now? What you and I need to be thankful for? Or is it that we just tip our hat to the master and say, hey, thanks, as if God owed me something? Dangerous ground. Finally, our response to the master is so important because it so displays our heart. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Why was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Do you remember who was around Christ at this point? It was the disciples, right? Do you remember that? Answering questions for them now. And Jesus asked three questions, and I'm not sure whether they were rhetorical questions or whether he was disappointed Uh, probably both. 
probably both, as he stands there and talks to the disciples. Ten asked for mercy, and the master served them, did he not? He granted them healing. And ten were happy, but there was that one that returned face down. And notice how Jesus equates that one response. Again, look at verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Do you see how Jesus is equating this praise that this foreigner had to worship? This man was what? He was face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him, praising God, worship. Folks, that's not an obligation. If it was an obligation, there'd have been 10 there. That was not an obligation. That was a proper response of thanksgiving. Do you see that? For nine of them, the master was not the center of their thanksgiving. They were thankful for the miracle. Don't get me wrong. They were thankful for that. But were they thankful for the miracle worker? There's a difference. Do you begin to see where it's not about the size of your faith? Did these guys have great faith? It wasn't that. It wasn't that he earned anything. His mercy, grace on these people. That one immediately praised God, giving him thanks. His natural response was worship. What a great teaching point in the scripture. The master's mercy to the lowly servant. The master owes the servant nothing. But here they are, the lowest of the low in society, the unworthy, if you will, restored, not by merit, not by works, not by some element of increased faith on their part, but they were restored by the mercy of a glorious God. And yet only that one returned with thanksgiving and worship because he had a different heart. Let's wrap this up. Verse 19. And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so our response to God is important because our sin is so horrible. Our response to God is important because he is both mighty and merciful. Our response to God is important because we should be thankful. And our response to God is important because it always displays our heart. Look at him as he focuses on that one. He says, your faith has made you well. Don't skip over that verse. It's the same word in the Greek that Luke has used throughout his context. Faith, a saving faith, has made you well in the Greek. It's just the same thing as saying, has saved you. That's how it translates. Your faith has saved you. 
And then he says what to him? Do you see that? And by the way, that was a heart response, was it not, for the leper? And Jesus says, rise and go your way. Here's a question for you. What's that way? Rise and go your way. What is that way, by the way? You see, when you begin to ponder that, you begin to see the connection and application in your own life. It wasn't about increasing this guy's faith. It was about entrusting the faith to the master, the faith that he'd been given. Your way, my way, is important because it's a direct reflection of how much we trust Jesus and what he did at Calvary instead of what we've done or what we think we've done for God. These guys did nothing. God did everything. And we slip into this mode of, okay, Jesus saved me, but now I'm going to do this to keep my salvation. And then we go down through our list. I'm at church every Sunday. I go to Simeon. I go to Bible study. I love the head fairy of Cedar Springs Church. On down the line, okay? It just goes on and on. Okay? But the reality was, that's not the case. Christ took your leprosy. Christ took my leprosy outside the camp and he sanctified me. He cleansed me with his blood. That's how it works. Nothing's changed. He voluntarily took my leprosy. There was nothing that I did that saved me. I was the leper. I was the outcast. I was the filthy one. I was the one crying, unclean, unclean. Master, have mercy on me. And he answered the cry with mercy and grace. Not because I had some great faith, but because I had a faithful Savior who took my leprosy and did what the Father asked him to do, and he went all the way to the cross with it. Don't walk out of here today thinking, you know what, Kim, if, if I, I'm just going to be more thankful and that that's going to somehow shore up salvation for you. Wrong. I get so tired of people. I, I, I won't go into that diatribe. I'll just give you a hint. Something goes people's way and they say, well, thank God. Ever heard that? Really? I'm asking sincerely, really? Are you thanking God or is that just a cute little American expression? Well, thank God. Hmm. Folks, if you think your salvation depends on you thanking God, that's called salvation by disposition. In other words, God has to like me because I'm always thanking him. Absolutely, totally wrong. That's not the way it happens. The reality is here that God owes me nothing. Do you see that? Jesus is clearly pointing out to the disciples, it's not about increasing your faith, boys. It's about entrusting the faith that you have to the master. Okay? It's about realizing that God owes 
me nothing and realizing that there should be a heart response from you and I, a heart that is rightly oriented to giving thanksgiving to a master who's done everything for you. And then he says, rise and go your way. Your way, my way is a changed way. It's a restored way. It's a thanksgiving way. It's a way of worship. He's calling us to a thanksgiving of worship. Can I tell you our response to God is important? E.T., one of our faiths, says what? Be good. Whatever that means. Society tells you, be important. Be a leader. Um, Be different. Be elevated. The sports world tells you, be number one. The Bible says, Go your way. Worship God. Give thanks to God for all that he's done. All that he's restored to you and I. The Bible doesn't say be number one. The Bible is clearly saying be that one. But Jesus pointed out our our response to God is so important. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we failed you so many times. You have restored so much in our lives that we could not do ourselves. Father, there's not a thing we could do to cleanse ourselves. Nothing. Yet, yet, you took my leprosy. You took our leprosy. Willingly went outside the camp. And gave it all for us. That's more than I can imagine, God. Thank you for loving us and saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.